We serve a God who is faithful. We have begun this worship service by singing together, Great is thy faithfulness. But friends, throughout the Bible, the people of God have often been portrayed as God's unfaithful wife. And this morning, we are beginning a new series of sermons from the book of Hosea. And the title of this series and the title of my message today is God's Unfaithful Wife. I encourage you to open scripture to the book of Hosea. We'll be reading from chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to chapter 3, verse 5. If you're using one of the Bibles provided in the chair in front of you, you may find this passage on page 783. 783. Now, if you're using one of your own Bibles and you have a hard time thinking or finding the book of Hosea, just turn to the Old Testament, which is the first half of the Bible. Um, halfway through that, you may find the book of Isaiah. Move to your right a few pages. You'll get to Ezekiel. You get to Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And the book of Hosea is after the book of Daniel. I want to make sure we find this place. I know it's been a while since you've heard a sermon from the book of Hosea. I was thinking about preaching from Hosea, starting the sermon series on Mother's Day. I have heard of a pastor who preached on Mother's Day. His sermon was on hell. But I'm not that pastor, and I, I, I do not want to risk with, my, with our mothers here. So, We're starting today a sermon series on the book of Hosea. Talk about God's unfaithful wife. Here's a word of the Lord for us. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Barry, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Loruhamah, for I will no longer show love to the house of Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to the house of Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but by the Lord their God. After she had weaned Loruhamah, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will be reunited and they will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land for great will be the day of Jezreel. 
Say of your brothers, my people, and of your sisters, my loved one. Rebuke your mother. Rebuke her, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts. Otherwise, I will strip her naked and make her as bare as on the day she was born. I will make her like a desert turn into a parched land and slay her with thirst. I will not show her my love to her children because they are the children of adultery. Their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them into disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will block her path with thorn bushes and will wall her so that she cannot find her way. She will chase after her lovers, but not catch them. She will look for them, but not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my husband as at first, for then I was better off than now. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore, I will take away my grain when it ripens and my new wine when it's ready. I will take back my wool when, and my linen intended to cover her nakedness. So now I will expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers. No one will take her out of my hands. I will stop all her celebrations, her yearly festivals, her new moons, her Sabbath days, all her appointed feasts. I will ruin her vines and her fig trees, which she said by her pay from her lover, which she said were her pay from her lovers. I will make them a thicket, and wild animals will devour them. I will punish her for the day she burnt incense to the Baals. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers. But me? She forgot, declares the Lord. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the days she came out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the Baals from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the creatures that move along the ground. Bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. 
In that day I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies, and they will respond to the earth, and the earth will respond to the grain, the new wine and oil, and they will respond to Jezreel. I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one called, not my loved one. I will say to those called, not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. The Lord said to me, go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to the other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not live you must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or idol. Afterwards, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. Amen. Well, this was the word of the Lord for us. Let's bow our heads in prayer and ask God to speak to our hearts through his revelation, through his word. Father, we are so privileged to have you reveal to us your will for your people. Father, as we are beginning the story of Hosea and Gomer, the story of your people, I pray, would you also speak to our hearts of the true conditions of our own hearts. And we pray, Father, through your Holy Spirit to do the sanctifying work of washing us through your word. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, to understand Hosea, we must understand at what point in Israel history um, these events are happening. King David reached the height of Israel's dominance in the Middle East. David brought the 12 tribes of Israel to be united and have an influence unparalleled up until his time and even after his time. Now his son Solomon uh, succeeded David and he was very affluential, very influential and wealthy. But after Solomon's reign, the 12 tribes of Israel split in two. The 10 northern tribes formed the northern kingdom, which kept the name Israel, and the two southern tribes acquired the name Judah, or the southern kingdom. Or also in the book of Hosea, we find them referred to as Ephraim. The northern kingdom, I'm sorry, the northern kingdom was often called as Ephraim. The northern kingdom declined much faster spiritually than the southern kingdom, and that's why God expelled them and exiled them about 200 years prior to the exile of the southern kingdom. Hosea was God's prophet, the last prophet God sent to the northern kingdom prior to their exile into Assyria. God sent Hosea to the messenger, to be the messenger of Israel's doom. But more importantly, 
of Israel's God who is going to bring the doom and then the restoration afterwards. During Jeroboam's reign, the northern tribes experienced a very affluent time, quite close to the affluence during the time of David and Solomon. Trade and businesses flourished, and while the rich became more prosperous, the poor were oppressed and increased in number. Israel became very proud, and her affluence increased her sense of self-confidence. And during the, this time, the Israelite religion became very syncretic. What do I mean by that? Well, first of all, they adapted to the cultural characteristics of their neighbors, but more importantly, they adopted symbols of the pagan worship into their own services of God. They relied on their ability to also to forge political alliances with other neighbors in order to secure their national safety. And they became less and less concerned with the ethical demands of God's word. They no longer had the distinctives of a cult- counterculture shaped by God's divine revelation. What makes the message of Hosea so powerful is a combination of two themes. First, the provocative picture of prostitution as a picture of Israel's spiritual state. But even more provocative than the picture of prostitution is a picture of a God who would not give up on his wife even as a prostitute. Hence, the title of the sermon series and of today's message, God's Unfaithful Wife. Before we unpack these two themes, let's get an overview of the whole book. And the book may be divided in in two big segments, two big portions. The first section goes from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 3, the passage we read this morning. It's a portrayal of Hosea's family, a family of ongoing marital unfaithfulness. It's a broken family, a very messy family with great emotional wounds, with a marriage covenant being broken not just once, but many times. There are some of you here this morning who know what that feels like. You've been there. The emotional wounds in Hosea's family are huge. But Hosea's family was a miniature of the spiritual state of the people of God. That's the first segment of the book. The second segment of the book begins from chapter 4 all the way to chapter 14, to the end of the book. And it includes 14 prophetic oracles, speeches against Israel. These oracles spell more clearly what was going on in Israel in Hosea's time. They describe the way in which Israel committed spiritual prostitution, and they present God's upcoming judgment. Yet, despite the abundance of judgment, God will continue to love Israel. He's a God who loves even in judgment. And throughout the 14 oracles of judgment, God sprinkles messages of hope. And the final oracle in chapter 14 contains one of the most wonderful love songs in the entire Old Testament with imagery very similar to the Song of Solomon, only this time it's directed to the remnant of the people of God who will repent. Now we will walk through these um, oracles in the next five sermons, but today I would like to focus on the first section of the book, 
on Hosea's family. And look at the two themes that Hosea's family is portraying for us in a very vivid picture, in a very real enactment of the message God had for his people. The first picture, the first theme that we will look at is Israel's prostitution. Israel is the prostitute. Now, let's look through Hosea's family. Hosea is God's prophet. And he is given an assignment none of the other prophets of the Old Testament or the New Testament ever received. And notice, this was his first assignment. God did not give him an easy assignment from the beginning. He did not prepare him slowly for what was to come. The passage tells us, the text tells us, when the Lord began to speak to Hosea. First assignment. Go, take yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness. Now the NIV tones this imagery, this provocative imagery, tones it down big time. I want to read to you a different Bible version, a different translation of the Bible. It's actually the Jerusalem Bible version. Here's how it explains, it translates this text. And I want you to be insulted by the language because it was supposed to be this way. Go marry a whore and get children with a whore. God's first assignment to his prophet. But why? Why such a provocative command? Why is God asking his prophet, his holy man, to do this? The answer is given to us in verse 2, in the same verse, second part. Because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. Now, if, you, if we could read only one verse from this entire book to understand what this book is about and why are the events happening in the way they are, it is this verse 2 of chapter 1. Israel is a prostitute in the sight of God. Now, not, none of us this morning would like to have such a status. None of you this morning came to church to be told such words. And yet God sent his prophet to marry a prostitute in order to show Israel her status before God. Now, the picture of spiritual prostitution, however does not begin with Hosea. Actually, it began in the book of Exodus. I'm going to read a few verses to show you. I'm not going to stop at all of them, but just to show where it began. Exodus chapter 34, after the incident of the golden calf, God told the Israelites, verse 15 and 16, be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land. For when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons, and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. Then Leviticus chapter 20, verse 6, God says, I will set my face against the person who turns to mediums and spiritists 
to prostitute himself by following them, and I will cut him off from his people. Because such people would rather fall, fall, follow false revelation than God's word. Numbers chapter 15, God says that failing to follow the command of the Lord and following instead what our hearts say and what our eyes see is an act of prostitution. Numbers chapter 15, verse 39. God says, You will have these tassels to look at, so you will remember all the commands of the Lord, that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by going after the lusts of your own hearts and eyes. And the most devastating prediction, in my opinion, there are many others, but the most devastating prediction, in my opinion, is given to Moses at the end of his ministry. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 16, God said, and the Lord said to Moses, You are going to rest with your fathers, and these people will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they are entering. They will forsake me and break the covenant I made with them. Wow. What a sad prediction. At the end of Moses' ministry, after all the miracles, after all they've been through, Moses is told by God that despite of how successful his ministry has been, soon after the people will enter the promised land, they will prostitute themselves. Not later, but soon. From the moment of entering Canaan, Israel was going to engage in spiritual prostitution. And the book of Judges confirms that prediction. Read the book of Judges to see what happens. Now, the point of these references is the following. First of all, spiritual prostitution was going on in Israel from the moment they entered the land of Canaan. Spiritual prostitution for Israel did not mean that they stopped worshiping God. No, no, no. They continued to worship God. They continued their religious services. But the difference was they started worshiping other gods as well, besides Yahweh. They tried to include other gods in their worship of Yahweh. But friends, spiritual prostitution involves not only worshiping other gods, but also following your own heart and your own senses apart from God's command. Why do I bring this out? There are Christians even today who say like this. I feel the Lord is telling me this. Blank, blank, blank. Or they would say, I feel in my heart I should do this. Blank, blank, blank. Even though God's word says otherwise. I feel I should divorce my wife even though there's no biblical grounds for it. The Lord has given me peace about it. These are some things I have heard from actual Christians. Even though God's word says clearly there should be no biblical grounds for it. One, there's no biblical grounds. Christians who say, I feel I need to do this even though God's word says otherwise. In other words, friends, following your heart or your senses against what God's word says is an act of spiritual prostitution. A third thing these references say is that spiritual prostitution 
means simply forgetting the Lord, treating him lightly and at a distance. So if all this started off with their entrance in the, in the land of Canaan, by the time we get to Hosea, Friends, it is no wonder that God was so enraged with their unfaithfulness that he decides to send a prophet like Hosea to speak to them through this framework of prostitution. What is provocative in this picture is not only the marriage with a prostitute, but the fact that Hosea had to raise children that were not his own. So that the presence of two of the three children were a constant reminder to this prophet of his wife's unfaithfulness. But to add to the emotional pain, listen to the names God asks Hosea to give his children. Jezreel. Now Jezreel was a place of a very bloody massacre. And God is saying that he will punish Israel for its violence. God will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. So the name Jezreel now was a reminder that God will bring judgment. That's in verse 4. Look at verse 6, another name. If you're looking for a name, a unique name for a daughter, here's a good one for you. Loruhama, two words, nice combination with a hyphen. Loruhama, but what does it mean? It means no more love, no more mercy. And then look at the third name, Lo-Ami, for a third child, which meant not my people, by which God said, you are no longer my people and I am no longer your God. Now, friends, can you place yourself, can you imagine yourself visiting Hosea for a barbecue in his backyard one Sunday, Saturday afternoon? And Hosea calling his children, judgment, come to eat. No more mercy. Have you done your homework? Not my people. Come and meet our guest. This was the name. These were the names God asked his prophet to give his children as a constant reminder of the spiritual state of Israel. And why? And why should this prophet, this holy man, have to live with a prostitute and have such children and call them this way? All of it is happening because of verse 2 of chapter 1. Because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. This is it. Why should the prophet pay this? Why should the prophet go through the suffering? Because he was supposed to be a visual reenactment of the words and the message God was, was bringing to Israel, but they would not listen. They would not follow. Now, in chapter 2, the picture moves from God addressing Hosea to a conceptual dialogue between Hosea addressing his children and his children. It is as if now, in chapter 2, the husband is trying to get his children on his side to enlist them to talk to their mother so she could hear of her unfaithfulness, not only from him, but from her own children. Look at verse 2 at chapter 2. Rebuke your mother. Rebuke her. For she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. 
God as husband is talking to his wife's children, telling them all that their mother has done. In verse 5, we're told their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. Hence, the point that some of the children of Hosea were not his. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. In other words, she was lured by materialism and affluence, and she was so determined to get it that she pursued other lovers to provide it. But worse, look at verse 8. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold, which they used for the Baal. In other words, Israel used God's material blessings to serve other gods. It is as if a husband bought his wife a very expensive dress, but she only puts it on when being unfaithful and dating someone else. Have you ever fallen in that trap? To take what God has given you, perhaps an unusual skill or wisdom or material blessing or even the gift of time, but you use it all for yourself, for your self-improvement, for drawing attention to yourself, for benefiting your own idols. Some of you use God's blessings as excuses to keep you away from pursuing God with all your heart. Oh, I'm so busy. I don't have time for God. I don't have time to gather with the saints. I don't have time to spend in His Word. And we're using the things God gives us to actually pursue other gods. This is what Israel was doing. So how did God react? Well, God told His children, the children of this mother, that he, what He will do to them, to her. Verse 3 and 4, God will bring disaster upon her. God will not satisfy her search. More so as verse 6 and 7 tells us, when she will be looking for her lovers, she won't find them. Because God will block her way, her path. In verse 10, we are told that God will shame her publicly. In verse 11, we are told that God will put an end to her religious services. That means no more services on Sunday morning or then Saturday. Can you imagine the catastrophe because of God's judgment upon them? Verse 12, we're told that God will take away her material resources. And in verse 14, we're told that God will punish Israel. The Lord informed the children so they would speak to their mother. Now, why get the children involved? Because they, just as Hosea, should try to get their mother to repent to come back to the Lord. Is it possible that the wife may respond at the admonition of her children better than the admission of her husband? Is it possible that by bringing calamity, the wife would actually know to repent and turn back to God? Look at verse 7. There's a beautiful hypothetical dialogue. Then she will, she will say, I will go back to my husband as at first, for then I was better off than now. This phrase, friends, sounds so similar to the parable of the prodigal son. In so many ways, Gomer is the Old Testament equivalent of the prodigal son. Only that in Hosea, we're never told 
if the unfaithful wife ever decided to repent and return. Also in Hosea, it is a prophet who is called out to seek his wife because she never came to her senses. So God will bring out the judgment. That's the message. That's the first theme. That Israel is a prostitute. Israel, despite Israel's ongoing unfaithfulness, there's something else that happens. Not only judgment, which God will bring, but as chapter 3 opens our eyes to a second key theme, despite Israel's ongoing unfaithfulness, we see in the story of Gomer and Hosea a picture of God's holy love. Of God's holy love. So if the first theme is, is Israel's prostitution, the second theme of this book is God's holy love. In chapter 3, God addresses Hosea once again. Now, remember... What was the first assignment God gave the prophet in chapter 1? Go marry a prostitute. Now in chapter 3, we are a few years later. After children have been born, God addresses his prophet once again to go and show his love to his wife again. And the text says, even though she's loved by another and is an adulteress, Apparently, nothing has changed with Gomer since chapter 1. Yet, God tells his prophet to go and love his wife again. Even she, if she's still engaged in adultery. Why love her again? If she doesn't want to be loved, why keep pursuing her? Why not abandon her altogether? We are not told in chapter 3 if Hosea had the energy or the emotional strength to love his wife again. But it doesn't matter because God commanded it. God said it. Go and love your wife again. Now this word again is significant. Hosea has done this before. And with no result. Why open up the wounds? Why continue to try something that has not worked in the past? Why do it again? The answer is because the relationship between Hosea and Gomer is not just about their marriage and about their marriage unfaithfulness, but about a God who is not willing to give up on his bride even though she is unfaithful to him. Verse 1 in chapter 3. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. This means, dear friends, that Hosea's renewed love for his wife was rooted not in his feelings for her, but in the Lord's feelings for his people. In other words, it was not the Lord's love for his people. It was not Hosea's love for her, for Gomer, that was supposed to, to lead Hosea to love her. But it was the Lord's love for his people that rekindled Hosea's love for his wife. So the big theme in the book of Hosea is not only the theme of prostitution, but also the theme of God's unfailing love for his prostitute people. The book of Hosea is about a God who would continue to love and pursue 
his unfaithful wife. And listen to one of the explanations God gives later in the book of Hosea, why he continues to love Israel and not give up on, them, on it, even though he will bring judgment. God says, For I am God, not man, the Holy One among you. I will not come in wrath. In other words, despite Israel's unfaithfulness, despite the judgment that God will bring upon Israel, it will be a temporary judgment, for God cannot abandon his wife. Because God is God. He's not man. In other words, friends, God's love flows out of his holiness. It is a holy love. Whereas man would abandon and destroy, God chastises and remains committed to his wife. We see God's holy love in each of the three chapters we have read this morning. The description of judgment and destruction in each of the chapters is followed by a promise of cleansing and restoration. And let's look at these promises again. Go back to chapter 1. Remember the three names that God asked the prophet to give his children? Judgment, no more mercy, not my people. After these names are given as a foreshadow of what God will do with Israel in the near future, God also gave a promise for the distant future. Look at verse 10 and 11 in chapter 1. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. Yes, God will destroy the land, but he will also restore it. And he will change the names. Instead of not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. And then in chapter 2, remember all the threats God addressed to, home, to Gomer's children to tell their mother. At the end of those threats of judgment, God says in chapter 2 verse 14, Therefore I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. I will give her back her vineyards and I will make the valley of a corridor of hope. There they will sing as in the day of her youth, as in the day she came out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. Change of names. In that day. And then verses 19 and 20 are probably some of the most incredible promises of the entire Old Testament. God says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. Now, the Jewish customs at marriage was that whenever a young man would decide to marry, he would have to pay a price for her, to her family for the bride. And here's the price that God will pray in that day when he will betroth his people once again, five things. Righteousness, justice, love, compassion, and the final one, faithfulness. Friends, Gomer, who represented Israel, lacked all these from the beginning. And yet this is what God will give as a price when he will renew the covenant with his people. God will provide it once again. Everything that his bride ever lacked, 
so that she will be righteous, she will be just, she will have love, and she will have compassion, and she will be faithful. This is how God will betroth his people once again in that day. I think this is why in chapter 3 God commanded Hosea to love Gomer once again. Because it was going to be a picture of, God, of what God will do to his people once again after the judgment. Because God recommits himself to show his love once again to his unfaithful wife. And he's not just doing a recommitment. It's not just recommitting our marriage vows. The language here is that of betrothing. It's as if God is starting all over again with betrothing, with paying the price for the bride. So here's what's interesting. In chapter 3, when Hosea follows the command of the Lord to go and love his wife once again, the first thing he does in verse 2, he bought her. Look at verse 2. So I bought her. There's so much communicated to us in Hosea's action of loving Gomer once again of buying her. Why did he need to buy her? Was she not his wife? Did, she not, did he not already pay the price for the bride already when he first married her? Why buy her again? Well, we don't know if she acquired debt and she sold herself into slavery or if this was a price of prostitution. We don't know. The point is that Gomer reached such a pitiful state that Hosea's love for her was displayed once again by purchasing her back. And then look at the instructions Hosea gives Gomer in verse 3. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. In other words, Hosea purchased Gomer back so she will no longer be a prostitute, so that Gomer will, be only, will only belong to Hosea. And Hosea said all this to foreshadow what God will do for his people in that day when God will buy back his people. But until that day, there's verse 4. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or idol. And this refers to the immediate future when Israel will no longer have a king, they will no longer have a sacrificial system because God will exile his people out of the land. This punishment will be a time of cleansing for Israel. But look at verse 5. Afterward, after all this will pass, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. What a way to end the story of Hosea and Gomer. How does the book of Hosea affect us, Christians? Why should we listen to it? Why are we going through a sermon series for the next six weeks? Well, there are a few very important reasons why Hosea matters to us and should matter. First, friends, it is no coincidence that when we reach the New Testament, we see the ultimate groom of the people of God. Not Hosea, but Christ. Even though we belong to him because he created us, we have forsaken our maker, our husband, 
Yet he loved us despite our spiritual adultery. He loved us once again, and he brought us back to himself so we would be exclusively his. So we would not long, no longer worship any other idols. And it is no coincidental that his death on the cross is described in the New Testament as a purchase, as a ransom. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, chapter, chapter 6, verse 20, you are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. What we do with our lives, what we do with our bodies, with our emotions, with our minds, matters to the one who bought us to be his. But second of all, the reason why this should matter to us is because the church in the New Testament is described as the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. Yet the dangers that loomed over Israel can also loom over us. A great example of this possibility is a church in Corinth. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you, speaking to the church, I promised to you to one husband, to Christ, so that I may present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may, be, may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. What about us? What about us? What is shocking in Hosea's story is that forsaking the Lord is viewed as an act of prostitution. Turning away from our pure devotion to Christ is an act of, of being deceived, of falling into deception. Yet too, we too, like Israel, are tempted to think lightly of God's love and acceptance. We think that there's no way God will punish us. So we make choices in our lives based only on what is best for us. How often I hear Christians reason like this. I know this is not right, but I just feel that the Lord will forgive me. Have you ever heard people say that? We prefer to follow our own thoughts about God than what God's word reveals to us about him. And in doing so, just like the Corinthians, we too may fall in the trap of spiritual prostitution. But the thirdly, and the most important reason why the book of Hosea is important for us is because the image of prostitution and marriage fidelity remains as one of the images to describe the most important division at the end of the day of the world in the last day. If we look carefully at Revelation, we find out something very significant. As in the passage we read earlier in the service, a great multitude will be shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his ways and judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. And in contrast with this great prostitute who corrupted the whole earth with his adulteries, stands a few verses later, the bride of Christ. Verse 7, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. So friends, at the end of human history, we see the pictures of two women contrasted. A great prostitute and a bride ready for her groom. To which of these two pictures will you belong? Everyone, 
every human being on this earth will belong to one of those two pictures. If you're not a Christian this morning, or if you are not sure in which picture you belong, I want to let you know how you can make sure that you belong to the picture of the bride that is getting ready for her groom. God is our creator, and therefore he owns us from the beginning. But we rebelled against him, so we triggered God's eternal judgment upon us. Yet God, in his great love, intervened by sending Christ to purchase us with his blood so we could belong to him once again. But not everyone will benefit of this reversal of destinies. Only those who repent of their sins and who believe that Christ paid the penalty for their rebellion, only they can be called children of God. God is offering you today, my dear friend, a free invitation to be saved. The invitation is free, but it is not cheap. It will cost you the control of your life, but it is worth it. If this morning you would like to know more how to respond to God's invitation, so you will no longer be part of the great prostitute and the people she has deceived, so that you will be part of the bride of Christ, come and talk to me at the end. I would love to talk to you about how you can change your name to be a child of the living God. But if you profess to be a Christian this morning, what would God say about your devotion to Christ today? Do you strive in your daily walk with Christ to maintain a pure and exclusive devotion to Him? Or do you indulge in per pursuing other lovers, such as money, materialism, self-indulgence, lusts, unfaithfulness, or even pleasing other people? My dear Christian friend, if Christ has truly brought you, bought you with his blood, he bought you so you would belong to him alone. And if this is not where your life is today, no matter what you call yourself, Christian or super-Christian or Baptist, I challenge you with Hosea's message. Repent and turn back to the Lord. Turn away from your spiritual adultery. But what about us as a church? Do we engage in the life of the body of Christ by being guided exclusively by His Word and His Word alone? Is God's Word enough for our life and growth? Or do we like to use the world's ideas of success and growth to guide us? Are we interested as a church more in numbers than in righteousness, justice, love, compassion, and faithfulness to the Lord? Are we interested more in, the, in being accepted by our society than being accepted by our groom on that wedding day? I pray for our church what Paul intended for the Corinthians. I pray as a pastor, as your pastor of Parkland's Baptist Church, I promise you to one husband to Christ so that I may, might present you as a pure virgin to him. May this be true of our congregation as a whole. Amen. Let us pray.